Hello and welcome to Sweet Valley Highnesses, a podcast from two nostalgic sisters about two neurotic ones. We are your hosts, Vanessa and Jasmine. And today we're discussing Super Edition number four, Malibu Summer, originally published July 1st, 1986. Now, listeners, you may be asking yourselves, why are we covering a book called Malibu Summer and what is very much October? Mm-hmm. Like, we are so far out of summer and what is clearly the spookiest and pumpkiniest time of the year. What is the point of this madness? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm sure that you've come to expect a certain level of casualness regarding our ability to deliver episodes in a seasonal fashion. So, when we first started this book, it actually was the summertime. And we were fully planning on doing a whole Malibu summer thing during the summer. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we are only doing this episode on this book because so many of you requested it back in August. Yes. <laughs> so we are sorry. But we're here now and we have a lot of really good excuses. Yeah, Jasmine, you've moved back to Honolulu for your dream job and the apartment you were supposed to move into fell through as soon as you arrived with your backpacks full of pet cats. So you were living with your best friend and your combined four cats in a small one bedroom for about two months while you searched for a new place. Made it hard to record. It was a it was a bit chaotic and hard to, you know, schedule something that worked for us. Okay, I will agree that it was hard to record and hard to schedule, but bite your tongue. It was a combined three cats. Oh my apologies. But in the meantime, I, you know, now I have my own apartment. We're doing really well. Um, Dear listeners, I would like to apologize if you hear any sounds that kind of sound like, like a, like a fuck ton of wasps. Um, It is just a (laughs) fuck ton of wasps behind me. What? I'm sorry. What? I haven't heard this. You have like a live wasp problem in your apartment? Yeah, so I live in, I super like my apartment, but it is actually a dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times I wake up and there's just a, maybe like a dozen dead wasps. I don't know why they died. My cats didn't kill them for me. And as well as like a dozen live well, that's wasps. unsettling. Is, what's the air quality? Is this like a beach shack or, I mean, I'm trying to, I haven't seen it this is, place at all. Okay, it is not a beach shack. It is more of like a jungle shack. Okay. Yeah, as much of the jungle as you can live in while still living in Honolulu, that's where I live. Mm hmm. But I, uh, it's, yeah, Dad also described it. Whenever I'm like, hey, oh, I found like another like weird crack. I found it because all this rain was coming in from underneath my floor. (laughs) Dad is concerned about where I live. He I am too. Offered... Like the more you talk about it, <laughs> wait. I'm just. Oh, I like trying my apartment. It. It's good. It's in a safe neighborhood. I like my neighbors. Um, oh, I have a chicken in my yard who's really cute, and you know I love chickens because I had them. What's its I was name? Four H growing up. The chicken's, What's the name chicken's name is Noodle. So it's Chicken Noodle. Which chicken? The noodle or Noodle? I guess chicken noodle yes that's pretty cute it's really cute and she's really sweet 
I also have like a yard goose guard goose situation. Her name is Lucy. This is a goose that guards your yard. Yes, not only wilder someone's pet. She's my neighbor's pet. Okay. Um, yes, so she guards the yard not only for me, but also against me. Mm-hmm. She can't discern this, that you're the same yeah. person who left that morning or... I kind of thought... It doesn't matter. I come out of my house in the morning. Sometimes mm-hmm. she's just blocking, like, the stairs. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. late for work. Like, please. I really need to go. So between uh, the wasps and the goose... Are you able, where is your refuge? It seems you're under attack both inside and outside of the home. Well, okay, I have this great yard, and my yard goose, guard goose, doesn't always come up into, like, the top part, because there's probably, like, 40 steps up into my house. It's kind of, like, on the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and my safe space is my bed, except for when my cats find a cane spider and instead of killing it for me, they just alert me to its ex- existence. Oh, my God. If you guys don't know what a cane spider is, don't Google, Google it. Google it. No, oh, it's do Google disgusting. It. Jasmine put a picture of one on her Instagram. She did not put a trigger warning before she posted it. Okay. It is. First of all, it was it on my story. It makes a tarantula look cute. It makes a tarantula look all, cute. They're so scary looking. I didn't get a trigger warning when encountering it myself. So, so we all had to suffer. It was a faraway picture. I just wanted you all to see how big it was. It's like it's the size of your hand. But you it's know the what? size of your hand and scarier than a tarantula. I can't I can't Silver underscore that here. enough. Silver lining. I'm getting so brave and so good at killing bugs. Alright, well, Sure. From my end, it was hard to schedule um, because I've also started a new job that I've been on since mid-June, and most of Mm -hmm. my weekday waking hours are taken up by that, which is great, but not a lot of time left over to do deep dives on YA from three decades ago. Weird. Yeah. And then, um, of course, I spend most of my weekends decompressing by laying on my couch in the dark and watching episodes of The Great British Baking Show. And I am Mm. still upset over Michelle being sent home before her time, in case anyone else is wondering. Well, I thought the whole thing or, like, point of that show is that nobody gets sent home. Like, they all just... Are super well, people nice get and sent British home. To each other. No, they are. Oh. They are super nice and British. That's why it's a good thing to watch for decompression, because people will like drop cakes and everyone will be like, "Hey, how can I help?" And when people do get sent home, everyone cries. Like nobody really wants anyone to leave. There's no sabotage. It's not like okay. an American game show. But right. I was just asking one question. I think it's not a Great British Bake Off kind of podcast. <laughs> Well, you know, Michelle was sent home too early. All right. Well, what everyone's clearly wondering is, how does your cat feel about your new job? Well, I'm glad you asked, because my cat doesn't really care. As long as the organic grain-free canned food appears in her bowl, she's fine. Hmm. But she is also upset about Michelle being sent home early. Okay. Good to know. (laughs) Yep. So, back before we got distracted by a move across the Pacific and our new jobs, we were planning on and covering... the Great British Bake Off. 
and the Great British Bake Off, we were planning on covering this book about summertime in Malibu. And this, again, was back in August, so you guys might not remember, but we were at peak Miley Caitlin gossip. To refresh your memories, uh, they were having the most famous and fabulous Malibu summer of all time. Mm-hmm. As you may or may not know, since August, Miley and Caitlin have fallen in love, divorced their significant others, yes, and broken up with each other. And now Miley is sober, which I'm not sure I support, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> and she is dating Cody Simpson, all in the time that it has taken us to cobble together this podcast episode. Which brings me to my next point, Jasmine. Do you know what time it is? I surely do, Vanessa. It's time to trick your sister into moving to an oceanside alabaster palace with a girl whose likeness clearly inspired the film Orphan, so said sister can have a gross secret relationship with a borderline pedo while your best friend gets paid to look at a baby for three minutes a day because this episode begins... Right now. So, Malibu Summer opens the way most Sweet Valley High books do by just absolutely playing Liz. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's to be nannies in Malibu for the summer. Mm Mm-hmm. Liz has her heart set on an internship at the Sweet Valley News for the summertime, but old flat-faced Lila Fowler already has a sweet gig lined up for herself as a nanny in Malibu, and since Jess always wants to prove that she can get whatever Lila has, Jess gets an interview at this nanny place. (laughs) Yeah. And they really still have places like this in L.A. today, agencies where celebrities and billionaires get their nannies. Which I guess I knew, it just kind of seems like it never works out. Like, didn't one Stefani get her nanny from one of those agencies? Yeah, I mean, I I would personally, I would only go to the British place that Nanny McPhee is based off of. Yeah. Um, They also probably know how to bake at the level of the people on Great British Bake Off. Enough. (laughs) So... Jess goes to this interview, and the woman running the agency is like, okay, great. One of the families that needs a nanny has, like, this total nightmare little girl that makes everyone quit. And (laughs) one of the families has an infant and is related to your favorite famous singer, Tony Sargent. So, of course, Jess goes back home to Liz and is like, I'm going to sacrifice myself by taking care of the infant, and you can have this girl who basically takes care of herself. Yeah. It's it's also unclear in this moment and for the rest of the book why they both need to be nannies. Like, why Liz can't just do the internship that she wanted and just do this. But that's Sweet Valley High. Yeah, because, like, we all know Ned and Alice, worst parents in Sweet Valley, mm-hmm. like, are not actually concerned about their safety. Malibu is, what, maybe an hour away from Sweet Valley? And right. also, we're thinking Sweet Valley is nannies. Orange County. Yeah, and they're nannies for separate families, so they're staying in separate strangers' homes. It's not like they can look out for each other anyway. Right. What What I think, what it kind of seems like, is that when they go to do their nanny interview at the nanny place, 
it's because, like, people are into hot twin babysitters. Ugh. But, yeah. Right? Yeah. Which yeah. is not only gross, but also never comes back around. So, mm-hmm. moving on. Moving Liz on. is acting really dumb and does not realize anything is amiss. She's like, sure. But then Jess has cheerleading camp and can't go to her interview with her family. So, guess what? In chapter two, we already have a twin switcheroo scheme. Mm-hmm. So, Liz goes to both interviews with both families and pretends to be Jess. Uh, she learns that the family Jess wanted for herself lives super far away from the beach and is going to make Jess share a room with the baby because their <laughs> guest room is filled with, like, vague junk. Right. So Liz, as Liz, also meets the family that she's going to be babysitting for, the Bennetts, mm-hmm. except the mom totally forgot about the interview and she's instead taken around by their housekeeper, who the book refers to as, quote, of Mexican descent as a character description. Yeah, that wasn't great. No, it, it was not great. Liz also meets her charge, Taryn, who definitely seems like she's going to light the house on fire and lock the doors from the outside. Yeah, um, first impressions of Taryn. Mm-hmm. Have you been reading those news stories that have been coming out about the Russian adoptees who... Oh my god, say, yes. I'm obsessed. Yes. I'm obsessed. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. Yes. So these kids, they say that they're like 10, but the families who adopt them come to believe after a series of escalating, disturbing experiences that they're not children, but are in fact like 22-year-old adults with dwarfism. Yes. Okay, this actually do Google, listeners. It is fascinating. The most recent kind of, like, big news story coming out was actually of the Ukraine. And it Mm -hmm. is bonkers. Yes. Well, that is my first impression of Taryn. Same. (laughs) Okay, so the twins arrive in Malibu at their respective homes, and things already seem pretty off. Yeah, like, Jess thinks Liz is just trolling her when Liz tries to warn her that the sergeants have a tiny house and she has to share a room with the baby. Like, she just thinks Malibu's only oceanfront mansions. Well, okay. I kind of also did think that. I've only been to Malibu a couple times. I think, like, with you both times. And that's kind of what it seems like. I mean, okay, it is a lot of that, but there's also just a lot of normal people there who are, like, generation after generation of people who've grown up in Malibu and Calabasas and Topanga. So they have this amazing property that just keeps getting passed down through the family, but it's not necessarily, well, like, okay, now I'm confused again. Okay, why? Because I thought only the Kardashians lived in Calabasas. No, actually, there are other families that live in Calabasas, not just the Kardashians. And not just, like, the Kardashian seven families. Other families, you know, no. like, the dis Not just, like, the Disney Many other, like, no. Like, people totally unrelated to them also live there. All right. Well, the more you know. <laughs> Chapter five uh, begins with Jess in a really terrible mood. She, Liz, and old flat face Lila Fowler have all decided to meet up on the beach in front of the Bennett's house where Liz is nannying for the summer. 
Okay, really quick, I need to interrupt for a side trip because I know the beach that this book is referring to, like, as the Bennett's living on fictionally, but I think it's based on a real place because okay. there is one really popular beach in Malibu. Um, it's That's a public beach that has, like, um, these mansions, people's private mansions on it. Okay. Um, but you have I to walk. I assume most mansions are private. Right. I'm just saying it's a public beach that backs up to private property. But okay. you have to walk down a sandy path that goes right in between these two mansions. And it's okay. definitely purposefully made to make you feel as if you're trespassing on people's property. Okay. And some of the people who live on this beach, which is called Billionaire's Beach, by the way. Okay. Eat the rich. <laughs> So they're definitely annoyed that the public can access the beach and do all kinds of fucked up things like put up trespassing signs and threaten to tow people's cars who park on the street in front of their house. Okay, Um, eat the rich again. Which you are allowed to park on the street in front of their house, but they just like call a tow company and have you towed because they're just mad, I guess. Okay, for the people in the back, eat the rich. (laughs) All right, that's not the story. The story is this. One time, it was a really, really hot summer day out. And remember, Malibu is, like, at least an hour drive from most places in L.A. Like, Santa Monica is the next closest city. It's also on the water. But with traffic in the summertime on the PCH, which is a tiny two-lane highway, it could take an hour to drive from Santa Monica to Malibu. Yeah. Easily. Um, And at the time, I of this story, I lived in Hollywood. So it took like almost two hours to drive there with traffic and everything. Like at least two hours. Are you kidding? At least. Gross. So me and my friend just decided to go to this public beach because it was a little bit closer than the better ones, which are even further down and which are not in front of people's homes. But there's like, Mm -hmm. if you want a beach in Malibu, go to El Matador. That's the best one. There's beautiful rock formations and... There's plenty of street parking, and people aren't going to threaten to tow you. Or you can be at, like, Zuma Beach. That was nice. And yeah, no, there's a million. No billionaires, like, trying to tow but our cars. basically, we just wanted to get out of the car after being trapped inside of it when it was so hot out for so long. Fair. So we finally get to this beach, and we just want to lay on our towels and swim and chill. Um, so we lay out, and my friend and I, there's all these other people there, too. And my friend and I can see this guy from one of the houses on the beach. And he kind of starts looking at us. And we weren't close to the house at all, by the way. Like, we were as close as you can get to the water without getting hit by the tide. We were not infringing on anyone's home. And again, it's a public beach. Like, get over it, I guess. Exactly. But everyone on the beach was being very respectful. So anyway, he's staring at us from his balcony and we're just like, God, what the fuck is this guy's problem? But we decide to ignore him. All right. Got to interject. That's kind of the opposite advice that we usually give our listeners about mm-hmm. what to do when men make them uncomfortable. But okay. Like, keep the But story he was going. very far away. And then he went back in the house. So we were kind of like, whatever. So he goes inside, like I said, and he comes back out with his dog. It's like a medium sized dog, not too big and not too small. And <laughs> just he, right. It was just right. And he ties the dog up on a really short leash with no water anywhere near it and goes back inside and closes the door. 
really fucked up. And leaves up. the dog outside. Yeah. Leaves the dog out there on the short leash with no water. And the dog, obviously, because it's so hot, starts barking and going crazy and barking, barking, barking forever, nonstop. Understandably, yeah. Yes. And, I mean, everyone on the beach was, like, looking at each other, like, should we go knock on this guy's door, remind him his dog is outside, like, what's going on? But then people were kind of scared, like, you never know, people could be kind of crazy, you're not supposed to really confront people like that. Yeah, Um, especially, like, for international listeners, like, a lot of people have guns. Yeah, a lot of people have guns, you never know. So, um, but this guy was a total fuckwad. Um, Yeah, obviously. And... Me and my friend noticed everyone on the beach just started to kind of leave. And so oh, we started to pack up, too. because the dog was, too. like, working and borking. Yeah. Yes, it was nonstop. I mean, it was nonstop. So it makes you start to pack feel up, bad. too. It's not even just annoying. You're like, can I help you? No, because you're up on that guy's, like, patio. Exactly. If I could have reached it to give it water, I would have, but it was high up. And we just didn't want to listen to this dog anymore. And we were going to, like, maybe call animal control or something. And as the last person is leaving the beach, the guy comes outside and unties the dog and takes it back inside. Vanessa, that's so fucked up. Like, so gross. Yeah, well, that's the beach the Bennets live on. I just watched some, like, you know, crime procedural where this plot happened, but darker. Really? Okay. I actually know what show it is, and I don't need you to make fun of me about it. (laughs) Okay, what is it? Okay, it's Lucifer. Mm -hmm. It is literally like a Jerry Bruckheimer production. I haven't watched it. But in my defense, okay, in my defense, (laughs) the guy is really hot. Obviously, Uh everybody's attractive in like a Jerry Bruckheimer like production. Mm -hmm. The main character is especially hot. And it's just like nice, like dumb television to put on while you're like cleaning or whatever. Uh Uh-huh. So what happens in the episode is that there's this, like, old rich lady on a non-private beach in Malibu who's sick of poor people. And by poor people, I mean literally all of us compared to her. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, she's sick of, like, poor people being on, quote-unquote, her beach. So she kills a surfer and frames, what? This, frames this other, like, surf gang, which... I mean, I live out here. I'm still not convinced that that's a thing, like, in Hawaii, like, surf gangs, whatever. (laughs) Point Break makes it seem real, but, so, whatever. She frames, like, this other, like, surfing group uh, as the murderers and (laughs) leaves his body. of friends. Yes. That's, I think, I think that's (laughs) usually what happens, but I don't know. I can't say for sure. But she leaves the body out as as a way to be like, oh, look how unsafe it is here. People are getting murdered. There's oh gangs my God. around. I bet the writer of this episode has been to this same beach that well, I've been to and saw this dog man. Lucifer, the way that Lucifer and his police partner, um, it's a whole thing, just watch the show or don't, uh, catch this old lady as being the murderer is because they literally just have a picnic right outside of her house on the beach. Oh my god, just like me and my friend. Yeah. And she, like, freaks out and is like, this is, like, my, whatever, private property and this and that. And they're like, no, it's not. And then she goes to, this is pretty unsafe. And then that's <laughs> how they catch the murderer. Wait, was the writer of this episode the same writer of, of this book? It 
Maybe. <laughs> it seems like very much the same brand of dialogue. Lots of plot holes. Everyone's just attractive, <laughs> so people stay interested. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I hope that that freak in Malibu who used his, like, weaponized his poor sweaty dog poor ends dog. up, like, very thirsty and sweaty and alone in the desert. And that's what I hope for him. Yeah. That seems karmically very fair. I thought so. Well, okay, back in Sweet Valley, mm-hmm. Malibu edition. Of course. Jess has snuck out to hang out with Liz and old flat-faced uh, Lila Fowler. Well, the baby, she is in charge of, like, keeping alive, <laughs> has a nap. Just sneaks yeah, right out. She, she hopes it will nap for four hours, which, if you yeah. know anything about small babies, is insane and laughable. It's actually bonkers. Yeah. I love it. Uh, in this scene also, old flat face Lila Fowler is reading a romance novel on well, the beach. It's like it's like a fifty shades of gray like soccer mom porn book. Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book is about a, a rich man named Rock Owens. No <laughs> yeah, type Rock. Of Rock Owens. <laughs> Not Rick, Rock. Rock Owens. Rock. Get it? Like rock hard? (laughs) Okay. So this fictional sex god has set her off on a mission to fall in love with an older man for the summer. Mm -hmm. And apparently Malibu is just like crawling with hot older men who are like trying to date teenagers. I guess. I mean, let's definitely not skip over the fact that Jess literally whistles low at a man Ugh, yeah. walking by her and then mm-hmm. is transfixed by his leg muscles for a full yes. minute or so. Mm-hmm. And old Flatface like is like, yeah, in a daze. And old Flatface is like, nah, that guy's too young for me to tap. And she's yeah. being such a horn dog in this scene and entire storyline that for this episode of the podcast, we will temporarily and officially change her name to old horn dog Lila Fowler. Okay, seconded. The board has voted. Old Horndog <laughs> Lila Fowler, just for Malibu Summer. Yes. It seems kind of weirdly out of character for uh, Lila, but uh, whatever, I support it as much as I can support <laughs> anything that's happening in this book. Right. So also in the scene, Liv's arri- uh, like shows up at the beach with Taryn, a.k.a. Damien, who <laughs> from the jump is just saying tons of creepy shit. Yeah. Like, for example, she looks Liz dead in the eyes and says, I want you to go away. I mean, if I'm not calling the agency at that point, mm. I am definitely sleeping with my doors locked from the inside with a heavy dresser in front of it. Because if not, you are for sure waking up with that kid standing over you wide eyed watching you sleep. Oh, for sure. Like, holding a box of matches and grinning, most likely. 100%. Yeah. So, oh, on the beach, we also meet a super hot neighbor, uh, Cliff Sherman. He lives in a Redwood house. He runs five miles a day on the beach, and he's also clearly in love with Liz. And I don't remember if we ever read this one book when we were little, Jasmine. Do you? Uh, 
I don't really, just because the plot, it's like so murky with the twin switcheroos, the like love triangles slash squares. It Nothing yeah. stuck out in my memory. We probably did, I but agree. I don't know. I feel like I would remember a book like this, but it's also possible that it's just really similar to all of the other early books where there's a Jess, Liz, new boy love triangle. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all kind of, like, mushing together with all of these early books. They have very similar plots. Yeah, a lot of them. like, the, there's, like, a twin mistaken identity that never really pans out. Yeah. It's just, like, yeah, it, it, it doesn't stand out in my mind at all, but I feel like I do remember the cover from when we were younger. Yeah, also, me too. Also, like, because Liz's bathing suit, I knew when I was, like, eight was dorky. <laughs> and... Jess's, like, revealing bikini is 0% revealing. It is a quite covering bikini, I would say. Yeah, and also, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with this, but they are 16 and the twins do look 45 on the cover of this Mm. book. Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. This was a a weird, like, uh, cover artist period for Mm -hmm. the series. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway... This chapter ends with the bad seed dropping a bunch of wet sand onto Cliff's shoes, which is hilarious. <laughs> and and then she screams, I hate you, to literally everyone on the beach. Very chill. Mm-hmm. Next up, Jess is rebuffed by Liz when she asks to switch job assignments. Oh, and wait, then Sorry, <laughs> if, uh, if you hear any screaming in the background... Don't worry, that's just my cat looking at some wasps. But they're both screaming. The <laughs> they're wasps looking at the a wasp right now. Right now. All they're, right. The wasps and the cats, they're, they're all screaming. If you can hear it, I apologize. <laughs> We're doing our best. It's October what and it's Malibu summer. Okay? chaos that you live inside of? Okay. It's good. I like it. It's a little dog. <laughs> um, well... Back to Jess being rebuffed by Liz when she asked to switch jobs. Oh, yeah. This part she is good. then finds out from Sam's mom, Lucy, that she and Sam's dad have plans on Saturday night. Sam is the baby she's watching. Mm. Now, Saturday night is the same night as the party that Cliff just invited them to. Mm, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, Vanessa, but I smell some conflicts coming on. I do, too. A conflict that will only be solved by a twin switch. But, I mean, what else? But before that, Jess has to cry because the family she was hired to nanny for the summer asks her to nanny for them. It's kind of great. The audacity. The audacity. But I'm going to keep it real here because I relate to Jess in this moment. I mean... In high school, I did quit my job as a hostess at a restaurant because they wouldn't give me Halloween night off, and mm-hmm. everyone in the senior class was planning on going to this massive party, and I just couldn't miss it. I mean, I knew I'd re- like I'd regret it all year if I spent the night handing people to-go sacks of breadsticks when all my friends were out having fun at this amazing party. So I also knew I could easily find another job, which I instantly did after Halloween, so... I mean, I get it. I can definitely see both sides, actually. Like, both twin sides. I mean, first of all, Jess, nannying 
on a Saturday night, I would assume that's probably when, like, the parents want to go out. <laughs> that's probably, and, like, definitely a night you're never going to get off in the summertime. Yeah. Like, just don't expect it. Like, have your days off be Wednesday, Thursday instead, and that's when you can meet up with your friends. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was in high school, listeners, I was apparently not as cool as Vanessa. Um, one of the first Halloweens that I started working in a restaurant... I was dressed as a very, very unsexy bumblebee. <laughs> like the kind of like Michigan costume that you wear trick-or-treating where it's like, it's like a full hoodie. It's like insulated. Insulated hoodie. I'm wearing like leggings, pants over the leggings probably. Because I had honestly just, like just stopped trick-or-treating like the year before and now I'm like waitressing <laughs> in a bar. Because we're from a small town. <laughs> And, yeah, that's what I did my junior, oh, my senior year. Uh, well, uh, all Halloween. I'm saying is you're only young once. There are only so many true. parties with costumes and underage drinking well, you can that's get what to. I, that's how I get both sides where I'm like, I yeah. probably should have just gone to a party that night. But instead, yeah, because I handed drinks to all these people was like, dude, you don't even have kids. It's not like you need to take somebody trick-or-treating. You probably could exactly. have worked and let the high school student have a night Who off to doesn't go to get a three day party. hangovers yet. Yeah, let me enjoy this beautiful time in my life. Yeah, A G T T P W Y U. Always what? go to the party oh. when you're underage. Okay, first of all, like only with fellow underage kids. Yeah, of course. And also, did you have to write that down to get the acronym? Yes. Okay. Good. I was just wondering. (laughs) So, in the next chapter, we jump uh, over to Liz's story at the Bennett's Alabaster Palace, and we learn some more about the Bad Seeds parents, who have unexplained masses of wealth and do things like worry all day about the small noises that their car makes. I mean, Malcolm Bennett is clearly madoffing the shit out of someone. Yeah, it's, like, probably a lot of people. It's the only answer. Yeah, multiple someones. the mom, Audrey Bennett, is described by the author as spending all of her time shopping for beautiful clothes, meeting her friends for lunch at fancy restaurants, and or exercising. I mean, I know that description is supposed to make her sound shallow, but I... Am after Audrey's lifestyle. Let's be real. We all are. It's pretty much all I'm working towards in life. I'm like, how nice. Oh, I'm just always wearing (laughs) silk. And my my hard task of the day is going to like a fucking Pilates class. Sounds amazing. Can't wait. I just, the part I don't get is why they keep their daughter locked up like a prisoner with all female staff of servants, Emily the cook, Emery the housekeeper, and now Elizabeth the nanny. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the housekeeper is Maria is, it's a little first thought. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay? There are a lot of other Latin name directions the ghostwriter could have gone in. Mm-hmm. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a gentle way to put it. <laughs> So, despite the fact that Liz agrees to watch Baby Sam on Saturday, if the Bennets, 
her family that she's nannying for will let her. Just still, still decides. <laughs> Fuck, I was trying to say Did you just, just call her jizz. Yeah, I was trying to say <laughs> just and kicks at the same time. I don't know why I think that's so funny. Okay. Okay. I was saying just still kicks, but instead I okay. said jizz. Okay. I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> Jess kicks up her scheme. Uh, this is when she like starts trying to trick Liz into agreeing to switch assignments, mm-hmm. which I think is really funny. Yeah. Her first move is to fake an allergy to the sergeant's cat, whose name is Spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, rude. He's I a mean, very, like, cute, just, like, ragdoll cat. <laughs> I don't think it says that he's a ragdoll cat anywhere in the book. I think you added that in. But I do find the plan rude in its dumbness. <laughs> like, your twin knows you're obviously not allergic to cats. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I live in different states, and we are not and even twins. I was just and about to say that. We're not even twins. Yeah, but if you tried to tell me you were allergic to something random, I'd be like, why are you lying? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know so, what you're allergic to. <laughs> so Jess tries it, and Liz immediately is like, you just had, like, the full crazy allergy test last year, and you're not allergic to sit- to shit. Yeah. Jessica. And so. also, Taryn, Taryn also calls her out. She's like, why are you making those weird noises? when she's Oh, that was the funniest part. <laughs> Because Jess is, like, fake sneezing, and yeah. Taryn is like, what is that noise? It's not a sneeze. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious. Uh, but then right after, Taryn and Jess bond over being evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the next chapter, Jess and old horn dog Lila Fowler, are at the mall, and Lila wanders away from Jess and gets hit on by this... 18 or 19 year old college dude who humble brags about being a windsurfing coach. Okay. And then they decide to meet the next day on the public beach to go windsurfing. But during their date, it's obvious that something is fucked up about this guy, don't you think? Yeah, it's like, is it bodies in the basement? A Hmm. proclivity for injuring defenseless small animals? Hmm. Does he maybe think the art in Holiday Inn lobbies is actually good? <laughs> okay. Only time will tell. Well, here's what I put together as <laughs> kind of like a, a master detective. Uh-huh. Dude doesn't want to drive. Old horn dog Lila Fowler is super horny for <laughs> a dude who's older. Mm. I think think that it's definitely that he's younger than Lila. Of course, that is definitely what it is. I mean, yeah, spoiler alert, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like now would be a good time to remind our listeners that in the Sweet Valley universe, this book, Malibu Summer, is taking place post-toxic masculinity Todd leaving for Vermont and pre-Liz's future boyfriend, Jeffrey French, arriving. Right? Yes. And that's important to know because the only semi-interesting thing that happens in the middle of this book is that while Liz is covering for Jess at the sergeant's, Jamie arrives. Mm -hmm. He's the sergeant's cousin. 
and is a hottie mm-hmm. who goes to Yale and wears wire-rimmed hipster glasses and puts on Nina Simone records. Like, okay, basically, if Liz did the spell from the movie Practical Magic, where you create your dream man from, like, herbs and dirt in your garden, uh-huh, her dream man spell. is Jamie. <laughs> I do, too. It never works out right for me, but... It doesn't like, work Jamie out right would for be... them in the movie. But mm. this freak... Jamie, he's coming on way too strong. Yeah. And he's aware that she's 16, which is barf. But then Liz, like, seems a bit into it, not to ever, like, victim shame because she's a teenager. Right. But she's into it enough that when he invites her to a beach cafe, guess the name of the beach cafe. I think we all know the name of the beach cafe. The, the name of the beach cafe is indeed Beach Cafe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Liz accepts and decides to meet up the next day anyway. And Jess comes back from the party at Cliff's. Oh, where she did find out the old horn dog Lila Fowler's new boyfriend is only 15 years old. Yes, and Liz lies to Jess about having promised to take Taryn somewhere special on her day off, when in fact she's going on a date with Jamie where she learns he's 21. So that's the whole drama for like most of the middle of the book. These are very boring chapters all around. Yeah, the whole middle of this book is just so fucking boring. Honestly, guys, I'm sorry, but it is. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make it funny when it's just so boring. Well, let's just skip ahead a little bit. We get to the twist that Jamie, nobody saw this coming, I'm sure, is actually <laughs> Tony Sargent. What? Jessica's favorite rock star we learned about for the first and last time at the top of this book. (laughs) Yes. So then the plot starts to get a little bit soapy. Yeah. So Jamie Tony is undercover as Jamie because this girl he took out for like literally a one drink had a boyfriend who is in jail um, and that boyfriend is now out of jail and on the hunt to kill Tony. Also, Jess doesn't recognize him because he has on wire-rimmed glasses. Like, she's living in the same house as her favorite rock star, and he puts glasses on, and she doesn't realize it's her favorite rock star, who is, like, the most famous person in the world at this point. Yeah, it's like, if Madonna came and lived in my house, but she put on little wire-rimmed glasses, I'd still be, like, near Madonna. <laughs> yeah. It's bonkers. So, that's a next level plot hole, even for Sweet Valley High. Yeah. And the next thing we learn, through a fight that the Bennets are having, where they only speak to each other in the way that only rich people in the 80s spoke to each other, like on soap operas, mm-hmm. um, they hate each other, and they want a divorce, and that's why Taryn is such a bad seed. And after Taryn hears them fighting, she packs a tiny suitcase and heads out for Nebraska. Like, y'all, this is really how the chapter ends. And it's like a tiny suitcase. It's like the size of, like, not even like a lunch bag. I assume it's like the size of, like, a pack of cigarettes or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because that's where she puts her cigarettes, so. (laughs) And her lighters and all of her matches. (laughs) So... Next, we are taken 
pretty dramatically into a thunderstorm overtaking Malibu. At the same time that Liz is meeting Jamie Tony for another date at the beach cafe named Beach Cafe. Meanwhile, Taryn takes off during said thunderstorm and Jess's twin senses start tingling, so she goes to the Bennetts to check on Liz. And also, during all of this, like the thunderstorm starting, the crazed uh, ex-boyfriend, it's vague, jailbird, jailbird like kind of guy of the girl that Jamie Tony took out for, again, literally one drink. Right. Um... And it was like busting out of jail with a knife and wants Jamie Tony dead. And he stalks Jamie Tony to the beach cafe named Beach Cafe and like yes. comes after him with a knife. Mm-hmm. So, in this semi climactic moment, there's first of all a lot of like gumshoe type dialogue. And yeah. then the, the ex boyfriend tries to stab Jamie Tony, but fails. Uh, mostly, yeah. <laughs> and Jess and Maria, the housekeeper, find Taryn standing on some sort of platform during the storm. Yeah, it's, it's unclear. Very... I, I can't it's... really get a grip on what type of platform. It seems like maybe a bridge. But she's over there. Cops can't get to her. They're all there. She's surrounded by muddy water. Um, this, Jess like, this part was very muddy. But boom boom. Yeah, Jess convinces Taryn to come towards her just as a huge surge of water washes out the platform um, and the twins' um, super lung powers, which are talked about in a lot of different books, right. come into play the here mermaids. and Jess is, like, holding yeah. her breath. Yeah, they're essentially yeah. mermaids. She's, like, gripping, like, Taryn's arm under the water. And yeah. again, it stays muddy, but Taryn is either, like, knocked out from like some like piece of wood hitting her head or she just like collapses because she's like a in like a fever or maybe like having a panic attack underwater it's very (laughs) it's unclear but a doctor um back at the house is like she's gonna die if she doesn't want to live oh okay because (laughs) i think I thought for a while it was just in sweet valley but now i think in the 80s and all of southern california what they taught at medical school was that <laughs> if they don't want to pull through, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, like, willpower like, overcomes disease. <laughs> yeah, like in Crash Landing or Kidnapped or... Right. What was the one where, like, Liz stole Jess's, like, identity for a minute? It's always just, yeah. like, if they don't want to do this, there's no medical science we could do to help. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, okay. Well, in the end... Taryn does pull through. She does want to live. Her willpower does (laughs) help her cure herself. Yes. The only thing you can do. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we wrap up with Liz and Jess meeting up with each other at the hospital while Jamie Tony is getting his, like, small superficial wound stitched up. And Jess is obviously there with Taryn. Jess is acting very chill about realizing that Jamie Tony is actually Tony and she didn't get to smooch him at all. Yeah. She's but very chill about it. Liz is acting like a big freak about this whole thing. Like, from what I can tell, like, she and Jamie Tony have hung out for maybe three days. Yeah. 
And she's already she's saying like, she's in love with him. Yeah, she's like obsessed with him. And then is heartbroken that he's going back to being a celebrity. And side note, I think it's very interesting that Liz was concerned about the age gap before she knew Jamie Tony was actually just like Tony Rockstar. Right? I know, but is he still 21 or not? That's what I'm saying. Um, Liz is just as, as shallow Was as that glass. part of the lie? Was that part of the wire-rimmed glasses persona? We're, we don't Ugh. know. Murky. But this book ends in a weird concert on the beach in Malibu to benefit sick kids, not Taryn, different not sick Taryn. kids. Yeah. Where Jamie Tony sings Liz a song that he like, just wrote again. for her. Some of the again. worst lyrics ever. Yes. A song about Liz and her journey. Because there's always a song about Liz and her journey. The end. The end. The end. We actually both agree that that is the end. <laughs> so God, now that we've the end of this reached the end book. of this book. Uh, Vanessa, how would you rate this book? I would give this book a hard... I was going to say a hard three, but I actually think it's a hard two. Because Oof. it's very boring and predictable, and mm-hmm. I don't get why any of it had to take place in Malibu, it and didn't. it's missing the sort. Yeah, it didn't, and it's missing the sort of hilarious and dumb soapy twists we love from SVH books. Yeah, and I think the reason for this is because it's from the phase when um, they were still trying out new ghostwriters, and they didn't really. Some of them didn't really understand, like that these books are goofy and they're supposed to, you know. Oh, I, you know? I 100% agree. That's what I was going to say is that this is one of the early books and not the early books, but particularly the early like super specials. Mm-hmm. I'm like, did y'all even like bother to read a single Sweet Valley High book? Yeah. Everybody's acting eye character. Uh, it's, even but though it's just, funny that she's acting horny, like, that's not Lila. And, yeah, and just, like, pages and pages <laughs> of, like, it. the internal, like, dialogue. Yeah. But it just, like, doesn't need to exist. You could have, so like, what's given your background rating? on the jailboard boyfriend. I give this a soft 2.5. Okay. Because I didn't want to give it the same score as, um, like, super special, special Christmas. Yeah. Because that but one was just that straight one up gave boring. Us trash elf, at least. But it was it was just straight up boring, I thought. That's and true. So a little bit higher of a score because there was at the end at least the intrigue with a double life from the glasses and the twin intrigue. Alright, two and a half. Would not recommend you guys skip this yeah, one. Yeah, you can skip this one for sure. Yeah. Well, now it's on to Wonky metaphor or truly deranged bizarro passage of the book. Jasmine, um, what is yours? All right. I legitimately read this book in July. <laughs> and I have since okay. lost my copy. So if I did <laughs> at all underline anything, I, I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. And well, also, to be fair, there weren't that many. So, yeah, I, I don't exactly. Know. That's what I was going to say. I mean, unfortunately, there just aren't that many in this book. 
Yeah, there another are a mark lot of, of it not quite being like Sweet Valley. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of racist details that I find deranged in Bizarro. Ugh, like yeah. every description of Maria the housekeeper. Yeah, awkward. But that's not really like fun in the spirit of sharing yeah. for this little segment. And, oh, there is a really funny part, actually, that starts, I think it's chapter 12, where Jess is making out with Cliff in front of baby Sam, and she says, just ignore him. And then they reveal that she's not talking about the baby, she's talking about Jamie Tony, who's weirdly pacing around near them and creeping out Cliff. Ew. (laughs) Which is pretty funny, It's gross enough to, like, be like, just ignore the baby. Like, oh, we can just, like, keep hooking up. Yeah, but there's like a baby and an extra man, and it's a very tight space, and she's just trying to get it on. That's what I'm saying. They're like, I mean, Jess is always horny, but. All right. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Fuck, Marry, Kill. Jasmine, your choices are. Yes. Father of the Bad Seed, Malcolm Bennett. Ben, the 15-year-old boy who teaches old horn dog Lila Fowler windsurfing, okay. only we find out later, not really. Yeah. And Frankie, the jailbird who's out to stab Jamie Tony. Fuck Mary Kill. Okay. So, I'm going to start in reverse cuz I feel like there might be some judgment, but mm-hmm. I mean, disagree with me literally like comment on our Instagram or like tweet us because I got reasons for all of these. <laughs> okay. okay. What are they? Obviously I'm going to marry Malcolm Bennett. Mm-hmm. He lives on billionaires yeah. beach. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like he's not only an absentee father, he's an absentee husband. So great. Chill. I'm going to fancy Pilates. I'm buying only silk clothing. I'm just <laughs> a lady who lunches with my friends Marry him. Sounds like a great husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to kill Ben, the 15-year-old boy. <laughs> okay. This is why I feel like there might be a little bit of, like, kickback on. Listen, you guys, uh-huh. I'm not marrying, nor am I fucking a 15-year-old. Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. I am 30 years old. It's horrible. So I have to kill him. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your only choice. And then I guess I'm fucking Frankie, the jailbird, who's out to stab Jamie Tony. I don't know. You just have to do it once, right? Questionable. But yeah. All right. Guys, let us know what your choices are for Fuck, Mary Kill from... I'm curious. If they're different than mine, I I also (laughs) want, like, explanations. Yeah. Yes. And if you fuck Ben, like, I'm creeped. So don't even, like, keep that. If you fuck Ben, we're reporting you. (laughs) (laughs) A thousand. All right. So if you laughed even once during this episode, please subscribe and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. If you didn't, just keep it moving. And you made it all the way to the end. So good job. Yeah. And, but keep it moving if you didn't like it. (laughs) Uh, You should. And definitely, like, just do it. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are SB High Podcast on both. Sweet Valley Highnesses, this podcast, uh, including our theme song, is produced by the amazing and beautiful producer, Candace Silva. 
If you have questions, comments, or are concerned over why Miley Cyrus wasn't included in this historically accurate book about Malibu history, mm-hmm. you can email us at sweetvalleypodcast at gmail.com. And of course, there are links to all of those things on our website, sweetvalleypodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Sweet Valley Podcast.